With me on the phone, Dr. David Kattenberg. David is an educator, a social justice advocate, and a longtime Palestine solidarity activist based in Winnipeg. Recently, a federal judge here in Canada ruled in favor of Dr. Kattenberg in a court case he started back in 2017 concerning two wines being sold in Canada despite having misleading labels. The wines have a, quote, product of Israel label on them despite being produced in illegal settlements in the occupied Palestinian territories. David had issues with these misleading products being sold in Canada, and after a series of complaints and events that we will be talking about, the issue ended up in a federal court. So with David, we will talk about how it all started and what does he think about the ruling and the reaction of the Canadian government to that ruling. So thank you very much, David, for talking to us. Well, you're welcome, Sawson. Thank you for having me on. So I guess let's start from the beginning. How did the whole thing started? Where and when did you see the wines? And why did you think that they were misleading for you? Why would you outrage so much that you had to file a complaint? Well, uh, truth be told, I I enjoy drinking wine. (laughs) And so the thought of kind of scoping around, snooping around to see if I could find any settlement wines uh, in um, in store shelves was of interest to me because uh, I knew that wines get produced in these illegal Jewish settlements in the West Bank. Lots of wineries there. So I started off by looking uh, at the listings of the Manitoba Liquor Mart and there was nothing I could find really here in the province of Manitoba. So I <clears throat> I turned my investigation to what I understand is the the largest commercial liquor retailer in the world, the Liquor Control Board of Ontario, the LCBO. And uh, I went through their listings and I quickly came across two wines, wine products, which I knew almost immediately came from settlements, West Bank settlements, uh, based on their labels. The first was a red wine produced by Shiloh Winery, and I know that Shiloh is located in the middle of the right in the middle of the, the northern West Bank, <clears throat> and Sagot Winery, which uh, surely was based in Sagot, which is a uh, a settlement right on the eastern edge of uh, Ramallah. And I did a little bit of uh, investigating on the internet, and it, it didn't take me long to find Chilo Winery and Sagot Winery, uh, and so. I figured I'd established their provenance immediately. I mean, they were both labeled product of Israel, which I thought was outrageous because, I mean, essentially what the product of Israel label means is that these lands belong to Israel and to the Jewish people. The settlements, uh, the wineries and the lands they sit on, which were stolen, uh, belong to, to us Jews, and we're staking claim uh, on Canadian store shelves. And their presence indicates that Canada was and is endorsing that. Uh, and, this, you know, by the by, Israel has effectively annexed the West Bank. It doesn't need to pass a law in the Knesset. The settlements and the West Bank virtually in its entirety have been effectively annexed. They are, these lands are as part of Israel as Tel Aviv and Haifa are in reality. Uh, and Canada supports that. And by allowing these products into into Canada to be sold on st- Canadian store shelves labeled product of Israel was it was like a an obscenity for me. It's a sort of shouting out, these are not crimes; these are our lands. And um, 
you've got to accept that. Mm-hmm. So I complained. And you filed a complaint. Now, we often hear about the complaint that you filed with the Canadian Food Inspection Agency. But before that, you filed with the Liquor Control Board of Ontario. So can you talk to us about this level, this stage of the process? Why did you go to the Canadian Food Inspection Agency? And did the whole thing took a lot of time for you to get a response from any of these agencies? It did. I mean, I first complained, wrote a letter of complaints to the Liquor Control Board of Ontario in uh, early January of 2017, and then I followed up with emails and didn't hear anything back. And then, um, well, I, I got messages back. We're, we're looking at it. Uh, we're consulting with the Canadian Food Inspection Agency, I was told, because the CFIA is the federal government agency that regulates consumer f- food health and safety and other labeling issues and manages, if if I can use that word, the Food and Drug Act or enforces the Food and Drug Act and the Consumer Packaging and Labeling Act. So I knew the CFIA was on it, uh, but, you know, not, not receiving kind of uh, information on this uh, soon enough, I wrote to the CFIA in, uh, in March of 2017. But I now know, based on documents that I've received through access to information, that have been filed with the court, the Federal Court of Canada, that uh, the uh, the CFIA was on this right almost from the start, because as soon as I complained to the LCBO, that they started consulting with the CFIA. And the CFIA, I mean, it took until, you know, it took the CFIA until, I mean, they were working on it from, I suppose, late, late January 2017 until early July 2017, so let's say that's January, February, March, April, May, June, July, that's almost five and a half months it took them to work on this. And they were working, I I now know, again, based on these documents, that there were hundreds of people involved in this, in dealing with my complaint, hundreds, (laughs) hundreds, from the CFIA and from the LCBO. And um, is that normal? Is that I don't know if you would. Well, it's hard to say if it's normal, but I mean, there there sure are a lot of kind of conscientious, hardworking bureaucrats (laughs) and 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 managers and regulators working on specialists, working on these things. And I mean, later on, of course, Israel and its its agents here in Canada would scream and shout that this had been a political decision because eventually the CFIA ruled in July, no, these labels are not correct some alternative labeling scheme has to be come up with because these wines weren't produced in Israel. And and the Israel and its agents started screaming this was a political decision. But, of course, it wasn't political at all. You know, these hundreds of administrators and bureaucrats and trade specialists and product specialists, they weren't in the least bit interested in or concerned with politics. They were concerned about the, the fed. What, what the law state, what the Food and Drug Act and the Consumer Packaging Labeling Act and, you know, Canada's position on the legality of settlements and so on wasn't political at all. But, you know, within the space of a day, I mean, within 24 hours, the lobby, Israel and its lobbyists in Canada managed to have the CFIA reverse its decision. And really, it didn't take them more than about a business day to do that. Uh, I know this from the documents. That uh, by the evening of uh, July 12th, I mean, it went out, the, the LCBO made its announcement in the late afternoon of July 11th, and essentially 24 hours later, the CFIA president had decided to reverse the decision, but that decision was made really the following day. So it took a business day 
for Israel and its lobbyists to get to apply pressure to get the CFIA to back down. And pressure went right up to the Prime Minister's office and the Privy Council office. Trudeau, Justin Trudeau, was himself involved in getting the CFIA to reverse its decision. I know this for a fact. Mm -hmm. So the CFIA, after six months of looking into that, they ruled, they said that you were right, and then it only took one day for them to go back. And mm -hmm. it's interesting, like he said, people accused the original CFIA decision that it was political, but many Palestine solidarity activists now are saying that the actual flip-flopping was, that was the obvious political kind of oh, decision. Oh, totally, mm -hmm. totally. There, there were, you know, uh, heavens. Uh, the, the, the government of Israel, it's, it's you know, very Israeli government people, I'm sure right from Tel Aviv and Jerusalem to the Israeli embassy in Ottawa, We're, we're speaking to the most senior people within the Global Affairs Canada and with members of Parliament, people like, I'm sure, Michael Levitt and Anthony Housefather, uh, who themselves applied pressure in their own ways within, I mean, I'm sure, straight into the, into the Prime Minister's office. And we've got the documents to show that there were about a dozen members of the Privy Council office just burning the midnight oil on the evening of the 12th of July, uh, including the, the advisor on international and political affairs to the prime minister you know basically f firefighting dealing doing crisis management mm -hmm. and making it clear to the canadian food inspection agency that the, the decision would have to be reversed mm -hmm. and they didn't have to tell him they didn't order him to reverse his decision the, the, the gentleman uh, you know uh, paul glover who was the president of the cfia at the time you know, professional, but he, he, he knew, he, he understood fully and completely what he had to do. And he did it. He reversed the decision. So once they did it, now we're at the second stage of this whole uh, controversy. Once they did it, I guess my first question, what was your reaction? Did you reach out to the CFIA? Did they justify their, their reversal? Or well, did you just... Well, this is very interesting because I never... Uh, throughout all of this, the Canadian, neither the LCBO nor the Canadian Food Inspection Agency ever communicated with me. I had been the complainant, and uh, the CFIA never communicated with me about their d initial decision. I found out on Facebook, um, uh, reading, reading B'nai B'rith's Canada's crowing, first their announcement on the evening of July 12th that they expected they had spoken with lots of people and they expected that the decision would be reversed shortly um, on behalf of Canada's grassroots Jewish community uh, for whom this was an outrage. And then later that evening or the next day in the afternoon before the CFIA, well, then the CFIA reversed itself publicly and B'nai B'rith crowing away and CJA, the Center for Israel and Jewish Affairs, crowing away about how they had pressured, thanking, this is a quote, thanking the Canadian government for pressuring the CFIA to reverse itself. <laughs> so that's how I found out. And then, you know, and then, uh, geez, I, you know, I enlisted Dmitry Lascaris, sort of friend and colleague, and he's been, took, took the case up pro bono, and we complained to the CFIA, to the Complaints and Appeals Office. We went through the process, mm -hmm. formally complained to the Complaints and Appeals Office of the Canadian Food Inspection Agency, who considered our complaint, and then at the end of September in 2017, issued a final determination that the Canadian Food Inspection Agency had come to the correct decision. Obviously, 
they weren't about to tell the Canadian Food Inspection Agency after the huge rumpus that this complaint had caused and the flip-flop. They weren't about the complaints and appeals office wasn't about to tell the CFIA, you know, guys, you made the wrong decision. <laughs> the first decision was correct. So, you know, we launched a, an application, filed an application to the, to the Federal Court of Canada for judicial review. So up until now, you did all the investigation by yourself, but when you got to this point, now you had uh, Dimitri Lascaris, a lawyer, representing you, and you guys are now at the federal court. Now, we know these cases take a long time, and it's a commitment, really, and maybe other people might have dropped the issue and let it go. You decided to go all the way, to take the next step and to go to the federal court, Um, why did you do that? Was that a hard decision or was it just the next logic? It was logical? easy. Yeah. <laughs> it was easy. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of like a bulldog. When I get my teeth into something, I, I don't withdraw them. And Dimitri, I mean, Dimitri uh, is a, you know, a brilliant lawyer and a committed activist, and he's also a bulldog. So we're kind of a pair. And Dimitri, uh, I have the, the highest praise for Dimitri Lascaris, who labored hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours putting together all the documents required, you know, the affidavits and the, and the factums to place before the Federal Court of Canada. And he argued the case and we won. And so uh, did you get, uh, what type of challenges did you guys face uh, One, I don't know, to file the court itself, but also did you get any pressure? Did you have any pro-apartheid groups maybe try to pressure you or maybe... No. Um, I mean, I faced, uh, I have throughout all this faced really very, very little. I haven't received very many angry emails, like maybe four or five or something like that in the course of three years. I don't know why. Maybe it's because I'm Jewish. I mean, I've been called a self-hating Jew and a capo and all those silly things. But no, it's it's been, uh, I mean, mo you know, the heavy slogging, the hard work was, was carried out by Dimitri. He put together all those, those documents, took time, and I helped him. So uh, eventually you won, as we mentioned, and uh, you said to, in, in an interview with Mondo Weiss, you said that while you had faith in the Canadian justice system, You were anticipating a loss. Why is that? Well, you know, I mean, it's, it's, I'm not a Pollyanna. One must be realistic. And I had no idea what, what to expect from the Federal Court of Canada. Dimitri and I were both thinking, well, we'll probably lose at the Federal Court of Canada and we'll take it to the Federal Court of Appeal. But, um, you know, I was in Europe at the time in Strasbourg, uh, and, and Dimitri was starting his vacation in Greece. And uh, he, I get an email saying, like, one day saying, uh, hey, brother, judgment day is here. Justice McTavish is going to re release her decision at 11 a.m. Toronto time tomorrow. So, you know, I was walking around Strasbourg, France, going, we're going to lose, we're going to lose, we're going <laughs> to lose, we're, we're going to lose. And, uh, and then the decision came out. And, uh, you know, Dimitri had, it didn't just hit a home run, he hit it right out of the park. The judge ruled in our favor. You know, I mean, she ruled that product of Israel labels were false, misleading, and deceptive because everybody agreed quite simply that, it, you know, the settlements, the West Bank, are not part of sovereign Israeli territory. They're, they're not Israel. They're not in Israel. And so some alternative labeling scheme has to be arrived at. 
But I think the more significant decision of the judge, you know, upholding the arguments put forward by Barbara Jackman, who was the counsel for independent Jewish voices who intervened in our case. Barb Jackman had argued that this was a cart that the Charter of Rights and Freedoms was engaged, the, f- the free speech provisions of the Charter of Rights and Freedoms, because free speech is meaningless if if citizens are denied truthful information. And the government uh, of Canada, you know, strenuously opposed that argument, but the judge accepted it. She said, yes, indeed, this is a charter rights issue, that free speech is meaningless if the citizens are, you know, don't have truthful information to base their choices on, including Canadian consumers, and that it's not just about health and safety issues, it's about truthful information by law, case law, embraces information relevant to issues of a political nature or a, uh, an ethical or moral nature, like uh, should I buy California grapes or not, or should I buy Canadian, or should I avoid products produced in apartheid South Africa? Can it, you know, consumers have always made choices of this sort, and these are protected rights. And and so she ruled in that same way. She and she even used the word boycotts. That you know, Canadian Canadians have the right to engage in consumer boycotts. She didn't mention, BD, you know, the, the dreadful three letters, those awful three letters, BDS, but she said Canadians have the right to boycott products based on their political beliefs. You know, it was kind of gratifying that she went to certain lengths to point out how I, in the course of my complaints from early January 2017, had constantly been talking about human rights and international law and, you know, so on and so forth. And she said, it's a protective right. So that was arguably the most significant aspect of her of her decision, and uh, it may well be the you know the point of uh, the point of focus for those who are seeking to have the federal court's decision overturned. What do you think about uh, the Canadian government reaction? So it was expected that they will appeal, despite many human rights organizations asking them not to, and they eventually, the Trudeau government, Trudeau government decided to appeal. What was your reaction? Did you also expect it? Or was, yeah, did you expect Shameful. it? Mm. Shameful. Shameful. F- fully expected, of course. I mean, on on a prosaic level, you know, if a decision is rendered against this uh, in, uh, at a lower court level, the federal government appeals. Federal government always appeals. You know, everybody always, everybody appeals when they lose a case. So it's not surprising that the government would. But we know also with federal elections looming and Israel's agents hounding it and hounding it, right? B'nai B'rith and the Center for Israel and Jewish Affairs and all those people were hounding the federal government, the Trudeau government, including his own MPs, saying, you've got to appeal this, you've got to appeal this. I guess we kind of expected that the government would appeal it. But what they're doing is they're, what, what Trudeau is doing is he's going to the wall to defend Israel's right to violate international law and the right of his government to refuse to uphold international law and to conceal these facts from consumers. So because of this appeal, now you guys uh, are at stage three, I guess. The battle is not over and you're preparing to continue the legal fight. You started a GoFundMe campaign called Label the Occupation. So it's GoFundMe.com slash Label the Occupation. And you guys have a lot of support from the 15,000 
dollar goal you set you already raised 11,000 so there's a lot mm -hmm. of support I mean a lot of statements that I mentioned we need more mm -hmm. yes so we, I we need a lot more <laughs> you know we're going to the court of federal appeal and uh, that's going to cost money and we're building up a work chest because we're, we're really fully prepared to, to squash the government in, in this respect to, to roundly defeat the government but there are going to be interveners arguing in, in favor of Israeli apartheid wines. There, there are going to be interveners. There, there are already two, and there may be more. I can't talk about this at this moment, but the forces are gathering to get, you know, to convince the federal government to fight the, the lower court decision in violation of both international law and Canadian domestic law on Israel's behalf. So <clears throat> we need to fight this. And to do it, we need a war chest. So very grateful for those who've contributed, you know, the eleven, twelve thousand dollars that have been contributed so far, but we need more. Do you have, are you now much more optimistic, I guess, uh, for the, the appeal case because you won the, the federal one? Are you this time around more optimistic than the first time because you won the first time? Well, you know, um, you know, some days I'm optimistic and other days I'm not. But I, I, it's, it's hard to say. One can never take these things for granted. The, the appeals court could, I mean, it could go either way. We think we've got justice and law on our side, but really one, one never knows. Uh, you know, I repeat that, uh, you know, B'nai B'rith Canada is intervening. The Center for Israel and Jewish Affairs is intervening. There will be other interveners on Israel's behalf, powerful interveners, and possibly, you know, so one never knows. I have great faith in Dimitri to argue this case, but um, really, one can never take justice for granted. Mm -hmm. So again, to support your case and your effort, people can go to gofundme.com slash label the occupation and give all the support they can. With us on the phone, Dr. David Kattenberg. David is an educator, a social justice advocate, and longtime Palestine solidarity activist based in Winnipeg. David was talking about his recent legal victory when Justice Anne McTavish ruled in his favor concerning misleading wines that exist in Canadian stores. The two wines in question are, in question are labeled as products of Israel, while in reality they are produced in illegal settlement in the Palestinian-occupied territories. Justice Anne McTavish agreed that the labeling is indeed misleading and false. Despite that, the government of Canada rejected the ruling and announced that they will appeal. So the legal battle about these wines continues. Thank you very much, David, for talking to us today. You're more than welcome. My name is Sausan Kadura and you are listening to Under the Olive Tree.